I lost track of how many times I heard the word unprecedented. Clearly, it was it was a new situation, absolutely nothing they had previously planned for. On the flip side, there were districts in the state who, as soon as they could physically do so, were putting kids back in school. This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we'll take a closer look at the last school year for K-12 students in North Carolina. For the News and Observer, I'm Dawn Vaughn, your host for this Closer Look episode of Under the Dome. Joining me today is our NNO K-12 reporter, Kern Huey. Thank you for being here with me, Kern. Thank you for the invitation. So Kern has a focus on uh, Wake County schools, but also statewide uh, schools. And and this past year has been, I'm going to start with a quote from the state uh, superintendent, uh, Catherine Truitt, who called it at the most recent Council of State meeting, a dumpster fire of a year. So what do you think? Is is that uh, one way of summing it up? Have you heard people say that? It's, um, it, it's certainly been quite a school year. And, and again, people always tell me when I say school year, you know, don't just, you mean traditional. Yes, year round has different schedules, but we're coming up, you know, this, um, you know, we're posting this podcast on June 11th, which is the day after the last day of the traditional calendar school year in Wake County. And, and you know, school systems are ending um, a little bit different days here and there. So anyway, Karen, let, let me know what you think about this dumpster fire uh, comment. Well, there, a lot of teachers are not going to be happy with that because they'll, they'll perceive that as a slight on the work they've put in throughout the year. But I mean, there are definitely going to be a lot of parents and some students who, who agree. I mean, this has not been a normal year. I mean, you're going to see lots more kids than normal attending summer school programs this year in order to try to get caught up. Well, um, and sh- she said it in a way of a shout out to the teacher. So maybe, maybe some, maybe they wouldn't say it publicly as far as how they sum up the year. So let's talk about your your look, both um, statewide and local. The the summer school bill, which came up um, early in the session, you know, House Speaker Moore was saying that he wanted the summer school program to be a, a priority, and it, it was passed, you know, relatively early in the session. But what does that actually look like on the ground for the for the LEAs that that have to set this up? Well, the program is still voluntary. So, you know, like Wake County, they're going to hopefully have at least over 20,000 kids coming, but whether or not they will all come is another thing since they can't force anyone to attend. And so that's like the big question is, you know, how many are going to watch show up and how many are going to watch keep showing up every single day, even, you know, even though it may help them. It's still, it's still who wants to necessarily, Ten six weeks of school in the heat of uh, June and July, but uh, it you know they're, they've got to do something to help these kids, especially the ones who just didn't do well in this environment this year. The ones who you know went several months without any in-person instruction and who who are going to have to try to make up for the past year. Do you think? I mean, another phrase that's been you know mentioned on the on the. Um, legislative floors and and elsewhere is is calling this a lost year. Do you think that's that's true for some students? And um, I mean, I guess nationally, right? I mean, the numbers of students that were have been failing, not just in North Carolina. Well, and this is a controversial point because I know some of the teachers are saying, you know, you, you can't, you're making it sound like it's their fault because kids have always been behind. But I mean, 
it's I think they'd be ready to admit that this has not been a good year. It's not an ideal year. I mean, like some of the same people who were saying that we should have to use virtual learning because that was the only way to educate kids are among those who are the most vocal about saying the state shouldn't approve any virtual charter schools because they're saying kids shouldn't have to be in an online environment. They need to be in person when possible. So, I mean, there are going to definitely be students in the state who, who, who are able to do well in this either a hybrid or full-time online learning, but there are going to be others, especially the kids who are special needs children, those who need more that you know in-person attention, who, who are going to have setbacks. And it's going to take some time to get these kids caught up. These are kids who, under the best of circumstances, are going to be behind. You throw in the obstacles of what's, what's happened since March of 2020, and it's just going to be a lot more work to get them back up to at least close to where they would have been by the time school starts in August. It seems like, uh, you know, we both covered the reopening fight, which seemed to come to a head after winter break, where some schools that had opened in person um, closed again, and it was different depending on the on the school district. And that was right about the time that more, um, you know, national media coverage and studies came out about the measurable impact on on students who weren't able to be in person, um, and then you know this came out with a with a fight and then a, a compromise and everyone getting along and having this in person you know press conference between the Republican leadership, uh, the General Assembly and, and Governor Cooper. Uh, how do how did you see that play out? As far as did you think I mean it coming to a head after winter break? That was also with the peaks of of coronavirus cases. So. Maybe that was a factor or, or just enough time had passed where people had, had had enough and wanted some sort of change. Uh, we were still at a point where there were, there were still some districts, you know, namely you know, Durham, probably the biggest one, who, who still had not proved any definitive plans for reopening yet. So for well, reopening for in-person instruction. So and clearly there was, there was concern from people in the state that if unless something some external force forced to occur that you know that they were going to be having their kids stay t- entirely remote through the end of June, so yeah, the, I mean, the state leaders realized they had to do something. But in order to try to you know get the get some get the support of the governor, they had to soften the language that would have forced these uh, uh, schools to go to Plan A for all these students even for the ones that districts maybe not weren't ready to handle. I mean, if, um, you know, if, 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 if every special ed student had to be guaranteed plan A regardless, that would have been tens of thousands of additional students who some school districts weren't quite ready to, to begin working with on a daily basis. How much of, I mean, when you were covering, you know, the Wake County school board meetings in the fall, how much of their decision-making was, you know, building the plane while, while flying it, you know, that phrase of, of their, I mean, being able to try to plan when they weren't sure it was going to happen. And, you know, how do you have a plan when, I guess, what, what was that like on the ground as far as them trying to sort this out themselves? I lost track of how many times I heard the word unprecedented. Clearly it was, it was a new, it was a new situation. Absolutely nothing they had, previously planned for. On the flip side, I mean, there, there were districts in the state, you know, like the biggest 
one with Union County, who were who as soon as they could physically do so, were putting kids back in school. Um, they they had you know even on um, the basis they had kids in, in the building in August, and so there were parents who were saying, you know, why can't you be more like some of these other districts, which are going to just put the aggravation and the inconvenience of having the and just have kids back in session. Um, and over time, I think Wake realized that it was getting harder and harder to explain to families why they couldn't have any in-person instruction at the middle and high school level and why, at least, you know, for some of the owners, they couldn't bring them back in more often. And we asked, as, as also we learned more about what was happening with the virus and people were being seen, it may, it may not be quite as deadly or as much of concern as it was for children. They were wake. Well, Wake wasn't as fast as you know, a place like Union County or Johnson County to bring students back. They were you know, considerably faster than places like Durham or Chapel Hill or Orange County to, to make the move to, to go to in-person instruction. It seems like, I mean, do you think broadband expansion is, is one issue or, or the biggest issue that's come out of this? And, you know, looking at, you know, Durham and, and Chapel Hill Carborough, you know, obviously their high-speed internet access is different than um, you know some rural areas. Do you think? Do you think that's the biggest thing that that's really, you know, everyone talks about like, oh, the pandemic has shined a light on this issue or that problem. Do you think that's it? Do you think that's the only one? Is there more than that that this has shown about education in North Carolina? Well, I think it clearly was. I think you have to. It was the most obvious because if you if you can't have a kid physically in the building, and you're having a situation where children are having to drive to a church parking lot in order to find any Wi-Fi access just to upload the homework assignment. I mean, that was, I was asking a lot. I mean, there's a reason why they were having such high absentee rates. I mean, why you were not seeing some children show up regularly for classes because it, it, it was asking a lot of them when, when you don't have a computer home and you don't have anything faster than dial up or you have very, very slow, um, broadband access that if you're asking them to try to put a full day of schoolwork in was just extremely hard on them. And if you've got, if you've got multiple kids in the home and you're all trying to, you know, you and your, your brothers and sisters are all trying to grab that, get that, 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 that connection speed to go online. You've also got the parents who may be working home as well. It was, you know, causing massive, massive problems for families. Do you think anything is going to change looking at this at the upcoming school year? Or do you think it's, you know, people think, well, we, we got out of it and we need to improve, you know, internet access and, and that's it. Do you think there'll be any, any major changes in education? We're going to, at the, based on how much computers were used on a daily basis, we're going to, every one of the legacies, you're going to see that schools are going to be increasingly more willing to use computers now that uh, districts spent all the additional money they received to buy enough computers to have one-to-one -one access for students. Um, you know, you'd hope that they'd be more able to go back to some degree, you know, the way it was pre-pandemic where you had more, you know, kids could you know, sit together in groups and you, you had more content. And it wasn't strictly net like this in some cases where kids are just looking at a computer the entire time when they're in the classroom. But I think, you know, now that we have these computers, you, you can have more kids going online in the classroom to look up 
uh, work while the class is going. So you have at least some of that creativity. But you know, as long as you know, like, like Wake is saying that they're not in a rush to to uh, go to you know remote learning days in the future whenever there's a snow day because the way it went wasn't smooth for all people. So there's like computers are great. We, you know, we can do more things than we had in the past, but you know, not necessarily wanting to make that the default going forward. Do you think anything will change with how, you know, a lot of, and when people were pushing for reopening, you know, talking not just academics, but just the, you know, their social emotional welfare of, of seeing other kids and playing, you know, especially the younger kids. Do you think there's any, any lessons there or any, any changes that, that, um, that parents could see that teachers could see? Well, school said they're going to be trying that, you know, that one of the things they're planning for is that you know, when kids are back in, that they're going to have to provide some additional counseling, additional support to help them get caught up. One of the things we, we just don't know for sure is how much did the pandemic and not having the daily interaction have on children's mental health? I mean, there, there are some some information showing that 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 you've had an increase in in suicides and hospital visits, but then there's also been other research saying that that's not actually the case. So I mean, it, I don't think it's maybe not be as clear cut as people saying that. Uh, so one of the things that we interesting to see is we get more data as the year comes out. Comes out as you know, are we going to find out that there was a you know a spike in the number of uh, youth suicides or youth suicide attempts over the past year? And you know, and if, and if that data does need show that, I mean, about That'll be one clear, you know, legacies of what occurred in the past year. One thing that had nothing to do with the pandemic that came up um, pretty recently in the legislature is critical race theory, although that's not the phrase that was used in the bill. But you covered the, um, you know, the House floor debate and everything around that. What do you think that the difference is between maybe the, the way it's presented with people who wanted this bill versus uh what it actually is like in the classroom and, and all the factors at play if, if it's a mix of, you know, education and politics and what this actually, what this actually means. Well, part of the question is, is and it's, it's probably unlikely the bill is going to get approved. And even if the Senate votes on it, unless they do something like stick it in the middle of the budget bill as a part of some other bill that has to get approved. Is that assuming you know if but if it ever did become law, how would it actually be enforced? And you know, one of the questions I think that exists is that you know, when it talks about how you're not, you can't teach that the, the nation was formed to oppress another race, or that you can't promote teaching that would uh, make a student feel guilty because of their race or their sex. Is how is that actually going to work in class? I mean, how is that? I mean, you know. You've had the Republicans say that won't, that won't affect anything. You know, it'll just ensure that you know we protect the dignity of all students. But you have like some teachers and some Democrats. Democrats are saying that you know what's going to happen is that teachers are going to be, especially teachers in maybe more communities which are more conservative, are going to be scared to just bring up topics now because they're worried that if they bring up something about Jim Crow or bring up you know the Three Fifths Compromise that it's going to be that they're going to be accused of promoting something that makes the nation look like it was racist and that they're going to get take flack for it. And so we just don't know exactly you know, how, how this would play out if we're actually making a law. Do you think this really, this came about in a response to the Black Lives Matter movement last year? 
that and the, the whole country of the 1619 project. I mean, there is, uh, you know, as, as President Trump told the, you know, supporters when he was in um, the state convention this week, there there is a perception that social justice groups are using what's happening in the country with the, the debate over Black Lives Matter, that they're using that to promote in their view anti-American uh, views that they want and they're using schools as an instrument to indoctrinate students. Now, teachers are saying that stops not the case, but that all they're trying to do is make sure that students can understand the perspectives of why these things are happening. And if you don't provide this context of you know, why people are protesting the streets, then it's not going to it's not going to be understandable to the students. But there, there, there is, I mean, it, it, there's a reason why you've got all these bills. You know, my 15 state legislatures have had bills out there to try to regulate the use of critical race theory. And arguing over curriculum and uh, state government oversight is is something that's, I guess, been around for decades, a century, really, um, with with what um, what they've argued about. Um, do you think um, as they look to the end of the school year and, and of course the legislature is still in session and we're recording this in the midst of we haven't seen actual what's in a budget uh, yet. So that could come out by the time that, that uh, you all hear this or, or maybe not. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, about money and there will probably, I, I would be very, very surprised if there weren't raises for teachers for non-certified, you know, school personnel, and um, you know, administrators, everything like that. It's just going to be the amount of percent of raises. And then Cooper has also, well, he's proposed you know higher ones probably than the Republican-led uh, chambers want. And then bonuses too. So, Karen, you were telling me that you you're getting questions on this now of people wanting to wanting to know the timing of that. I, I guess they just need to be aware that th this is a long process. Well, after, you know, after last year, where there were any raises. I mean, there you have teachers who you know, want they want at least skip, they want to see some kind of an improvement in 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 the pay. I mean, the state had slipped in the national teacher rankings because of the the, the fights the past couple of years between the governor and the legislature over the size of the raises. So you know, there's understandably a desire from teachers and also from not. From you know the non-teachers, such as the teacher assistants, bus drivers, they want to know that that they're going to get additional income to try to match some of the rates that have been given to other state employees. So we, this is a long. Uh, we're at the point now of the chambers agreeing on spending, and then they each have their own uh, budget, and then have to also pass a conference budget, which is their agreement budget, and that's usually a little bit different um, than each of each chamber's budget. And then that's the one that goes to Cooper, and then Cooper decides whether what he wants to do with that. So teachers who have, have worked in North Carolina longer than, you know, two years remember that that long drawn out battle, and then it came up as sort of these mini budget bills um, with an amount that that the governor vetoed, saying they weren't enough. So we'll see what the what the amount uh, ends up being, but. Uh, you know, people, teachers can probably expect we're, we're looking at months. It, it, you know, state government sometimes is a surprise. It could be weeks of an amount and everybody likes it and Cooper signs it and your raise goes into effect, but um, maybe not not hold our breath on that. We'll, we'll see. 
Um, Karen, before before we wrap up, any any parting thoughts or, or things that you think people should should know about this you know this past school year in the legislature and, and then looking ahead? Well, there there's definitely a lot of questions from school districts about the budget because it, the state enrollment dropped last year. Whether it's because people decide they would rather go to you know home schools or private schools, or they just decide to keep the kids at home. Or, or not, or whatever reason, this year, are these kids going to come back? And if they do come back, is the state going to be able to fund them? Or if they don't come back, are schools now going to be faced with, you know, budget cuts because they don't have the they don't have the number of students that they were expecting to get funding for? So, and you have the year-round schools starting in July there. They're starting a school year without knowing what kind of budget they're going to get from the state, which counts for the majority of the funding they're going to get this year. Right. That's one thing to remember. There's already a new school year starting, you know, just as this one wraps up for, for a lot of students. Um, so plenty of unknowns out there still. Um, Kern, thanks for thanks for joining me today. Um, for the News and Observer, this is Don Vaughn and Kern Huey. Thanks for listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.